This is Here Arizona, addressing issues, empowering our community. At 4.45 a.m. on a chilly January morning, two teams of volunteers leave the main offices of the Arizona Housing Coalition, each destined for two separate one-square-mile sections in Central and West Phoenix. This team's sector is Sunny Slope, specifically the one-mile square area bordered by 7th Avenue, 7th Street, Dunlap Avenue, and Northern Avenue. It's an interesting area. Deep inside the square is a quiet, upscale residential neighborhood. Closer to the main roads, though, it gets a bit more rough. We're going to find people. It's going to be on the canal because it goes under the street. And that's where I've seen... Under Central? Yeah. The Arizona Canal cuts through here, and it's where they find the first two people. Armed with a flashlight, cell phones, bags of travel toiletries and granola bars, the volunteers are looking for what they call street living. Joanna Carr from the Arizona Housing Coalition is speaking to Ivan, who is sleeping in the Canal Path underpass beneath Central Avenue. Ivan is an Army veteran who's been living on the streets on and off since 1992. You want a granola bar, some water, anything, bud? You want a granola bar, some water, anything like that? Yeah. Joanna listens and enters Ivan's information into her phone. Along with her coworkers Shane Grone and Linda Jensen, they're part of the 2020 point-in-time homeless count, a federally mandated annual count of all sheltered and unsheltered homeless people in the country. Right Open Association of Governments, they collect the data, um, and then they send that to the federal government, I believe in May, um, and then that impacts how much funding um, is streamed into Arizona for homelessness. So we obviously want to try and get the count as accurate as possible. They spend the next two hours driving around the sector, approaching anybody they see out in public. You haven't seen any others, though. There was a dude that went that way, but I don't know where. Okay, Okay. we'll go over there. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. Thanks. By 7 a.m., they have their number, five five unsheltered homeless people living in that square mile. And while they were counting, hundreds of other volunteers were doing the same thing in every square mile of Maricopa County. It'll be a few months before this year's numbers are tabulated and released, but last year's count found 6,614 individuals experiencing unsheltered homelessness in Maricopa County. Each of them ended up on the streets in their own unique way, and each of them has their own path off the streets. But it's much easier to end up homeless than it is to escape homelessness, even with dozens of nonprofits there to help. There are just too many barriers. Maricopa County was one of the fastest growing counties in the nation in 2019. Nearly 200 people move here every day. In our last series, Unaffordable, we looked into how the housing crunch is affecting the 4.3 million people who live here in Maricopa County. 
Last year, 25,000 families were evicted from their homes in Phoenix and 45,000 were evicted in Arizona. That's a 400% increase over the last 10 years. There's not enough. There's not enough affordable housing. There's not enough what some would call workforce housing. So, kind you know, middle. Yeah, middle. So, you know, there's teachers that aren't able to live in their own community because of uh, not making enough money and uh, the rent being so astronomical. For Maricopa County right now, we're looking at about sixteen sixty nine an hour is what somebody needs to earn to rent a one-bedroom apartment. And just between this year and last year, it's gone up about a dollar in Maricopa County. We have high, high housing prices, high eviction rates. We have the lack of uh, access to affordable and available uh, public counsel when families, low-income families in particular, are facing eviction, again, all contributing to homelessness. Has Phoenix made any mistakes in terms of urban planning in the last, you know, 10, 20 years or even longer? I'm trying to think if there were any times when Phoenix didn't make mistakes. The median income hasn't quite reached its pre-recession levels, and rents have gone up dramatically. In some parts of Phoenix, the cost to rent a one-bedroom apartment went up close to 8% between 2018 and 2019. 27% of American adults would need to sell something to pay an unexpected expense of only $400, according to data from the Federal Reserve. That means, currently, more than a quarter of Americans could be one unexpected bill away from becoming homeless. Statistically, Almost everybody in Arizona is closer to being homeless than they are to being millionaires. So what then? Uh, they end up being in the streets due to an insufficient number of uh, available and safe housing facilities, be that shelters, be that rapid rehousing, be that permanent supported housing. Uh, they are very much in the public eye, trying on a day-to-day -day basis uh, to meet their needs. In being in survival mode on a daily basis, it's very difficult for them to uh, have these and, and take step towards these long-term goals that do include completing post-secondary education, working and having a, a career. The, the need to survive in the day-to-day -day basis uh, makes it very difficult to do those things. That's Kristen Ferguson Colvin. She's a professor of social work at Arizona State University with a 40-page curriculum vitae, and almost all of it is devoted to homelessness research. Once someone is unsheltered, their life becomes a series of risks. Data that we collected here in Phoenix and Tempe with just over 200 young people experiencing homelessness ages 18 to 26, 50% uh, of them uh, had witnessed an attack or been attacked themselves since becoming homeless. Uh, one in four of them, 25% of them, had experienced a sexual assault while on the streets. And over 70% of them had been arrested since becoming homeless. So it's, it's a very precarious time for them uh, that, that really requires more than just agency support uh, to be able to uh, intervene in this population, intervene with this population, and advocate for this population as a demographic. Brian Noel is a bit older than Colvin's demographic. He's been on and off the streets and in and out of prison since 2001. We met at the Burton Bar Central Library downtown, near where Brian used to live when he was homeless. Right up here in Down Central, between, between right here and Indian School Road, there's probably about 150 homeless people that live right here. I, I used to be one of them. I'm, I'm not homeless anymore. 
But I used to be one of them. This, this used to be our little hood, our little spot. My spot was right down there on the corner at Thomas and Central by the bus stop. He didn't get into how he ended up on the streets, but he had a lot to say about living on the streets and how little acts of kindness from others helped him survive, like the friendly parking garage security guard. Okay, well, a block over, there's a big parking garage, big parking structure, and a couple of us, me and, and Big Dave and Lisa and Rose, we, we talked to deal with the security guy, right? From Friday at 6 p.m. until Monday at 5.30 a.m., right? As long as we didn't make a mess and tear a bunch of shit, right? And, you know, jump up and throw people off or whatever. He would leave us alone and let us camp on the second floor of the parking garage. And everybody got stayed orderly in their little spot and everything. He would just drive to keep on going. It was a good arrangement, and everybody was happy. For three years. Three years. Every Friday, every weekend, I, there was a bunch of 50 of us had a place to sleep, you know, cover inside, cover relatively safe. We even had somebody come in every three hours checking on us to make sure we were okay. Right? Once the cops found out, right, they, they, made, they made it extremely uncomfortable for this individual, right, by ratting him out to his employer. When the police weren't chasing him away from someone's generous offer of safe shelter, he struggled to find meals. I would go find food. I'd, I'd ride up to the dumpster. I'd ride up to the Little Caesars dumpster at 16th Avenue Camelback, right? Because I had to deal with the kid that worked there at the Little Caesars. It was 11, like 9:30 in the morning. I'd, I'd roll up in the back and I'd just wait. I'd just wait for him by the dumpster, right? At nine, like clockwork, 9:30 every morning. He came out that back door carrying a stack of the, the hot and ready pizzas. But they don't sell them in two hours, right? Throw them up. He would even trade drugs for food. One day I waited for him, right? Because I, I knew, I knew sooner or later somebody's got to come out of there. Somebody's got to put him in the trash can, right? I waited. Came out. I said, hey, actually, what are you doing? He said, what are you doing, OG? I said, this is what I'm doing. I got this blunt right here of some blue dream that I wrote personally myself that I will give to you if you give me them stack of pizzas before you throw them in the dumpster. He had to live like that, despite homeless shelters, food banks, soup kitchens, and the myriad other services offered in the community. People wanted to help him, but homelessness is a self-perpetuating cycle. You, you end up losing your job, right? Whatever happens, you get put out. Your old lady puts you out, you know, grandma started living with you, whatever, you're homeless. You're on the streets. You got no job, you got no money, you got nothing, right? So most of them turn to drugs, right? You become a drug addict. And in order to support your drug habit, you commit crime. You commit enough crimes, right? You get noticed by the police, you go to jail, right? You go to prison, right? You get out of prison, right? Now you're a convicted felon, right? State of Arizona, right? It's not that easy to get a job, right? When you're a convicted felon, right? So odds are you're not going to get a job, right? So you're going to end up going right back out to being homeless, Right, so that you can get addicted to drugs, so that you can commit a crime, so that you can go back to prison, said the guy who's been to prison four times. Brian, like most people experiencing homelessness in Arizona, had to rely on kindness from others to survive. 
The only help he got from the government was handcuffs and prison. The only help he got from charities was an occasional meal and maybe a bed for the night. For the thousands of people currently unsheltered in Maricopa County, they face a system stacked against them at every turn. They are targeted by law enforcement at much higher rates than those who are sheltered. Drug problem? Jail. Felony conviction. Back on the streets, unable to find work. Bathing or urinating in public? Jail. Felony conviction. Back on the streets, possibly as a sex offender. Panhandling in an area where wealthy people congregate? Jail. For loitering or trespassing. And, as Kristen said, 70% of them have been arrested before, so they face aggravated sentencing for their prior offenses. On top of the legal issues, unsheltered people face dire health consequences. Chronic illnesses are nearly impossible to manage. So you can imagine young people have their backpacks when they are unsheltered, uh, or they have a cubby, for instance, when they're sheltered. Uh, all of their medications or their treatment regimen is, is on their person. Uh, many times they're trying to stay vigilant during the night hours so that they're not assaulted or they're not robbed of their belongings. Uh, so oftentimes young people will uh, experience situations of hypervigilance through self-medicating uh, to be able to, to not lose the, the personal belongings that they have. Uh, those personal belongings, again, can include treatment, medication that they need to be taking on a regular basis. They might not have any identification or vital records, so getting work is next to impossible when every employer is required to e-verify. But as more people become aware of the extent of homelessness in Arizona, more groups are working to fix the structural and institutional barriers that prevent people from escaping homelessness. There's the Arizona Housing Coalition, which works to ensure that housing is affordable and accessible. I think the reality is, is that as rents are increasing, wages are stagnant, and so a lot of our population simply cannot afford the rent. And so when they're applying for units and they're on a low income, um, unfortunately they're just not qualifying. Then there's Circle the City, which gives homeless people a safe place to recuperate after they're released from the hospital, whether from injuries, surgeries, or chronic illnesses. And so it's very, very difficult, right, to, um, you know, if you've had, you know, your leg amputated and you're being told to rest or, you know, receive, you know, follow up with us in so an amount of days, and then you're being dropped off here with no real direction on where to go. And so that's where the idea of the respite center came about. For the vast majority of homeless people who have been arrested simply for existing, there's homeless court, which gives them a way to settle their fines and receive treatment instead of incarceration. Congratulations on graduating. I know you were a, a last minute uh, graduate. 512 hours of community service for $5,110 in fines. Come on up and receive this. Helping the unsheltered homeless is about more than just giving them food or a safe place to sleep at night. It's about fixing the social problems that lead to homelessness and removing the institutional barriers that keep people from escaping it. I think first and foremost, just educating ourselves about the kind of the causes of homelessness and the barriers to exiting homelessness, right? And so understanding that it is not always a result of a choice, a personal choice or uh, a personal failing limitation of somebody that is in a situation of homelessness. A, a host of systemic and political challenges 
uh, interact to lead to situations of homelessness, in particular around, around the young adult population. From the people who help find birth certificates and get ID cards for the homeless, to the groups that give them a safe place to recuperate from illness, a lot is being done. Is it enough, or is it a band-aid on a gunshot wound? Common sense says the best way to help the homeless might be getting them employed, making their labor count for the economy, and helping them find stability. But that's easier said than done. From e-verify to drug tests, everything that keeps those on the streets from accessing meaningful employment. Next time on Here, Arizona. You just listened to Unsheltered from Here, Arizona. That's H-E-A-R, Arizona. This podcast is made possible by support from the Nina Mason Pulliam Charitable Trust. Since we're a relatively new show, please tell all of your friends to check us out. They can search for Here Arizona on their favorite podcast listening app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, NPR One, Spotify, and more. Since we're all about empowering our community, we want you to be part of the conversation. Follow Here Arizona on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, special thanks on this episode to the Maricopa County Association of Governments and to the Arizona Housing Coalition. Here Arizona is a production of the Division of Public Service at Rio Salado College, which includes Sun Sounds, Spot 127, Soundbite, KBOC, and KJZZ. This episode was reported, written, and produced by me, Scott Bork, with contributions from Catherine Davis-Young and Nancy Dudenhofer. Linda Pastore is our executive producer. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Scott Bork from Here Arizona Podcasts. Since you're still listening, you're obviously a fan of ours. We want to hear more from you. Visit hearearizona.org and take our listener survey. That's H-E-A-R Arizona.org. Thanks for listening.